Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. It's quieter in here. Is it? Well, I mean, I'm further from you. (laughs) (laughs) The room does seem much bigger when I'm this far from you. And there's a big decrease in overall fidgeting and rubbing of hair and and beard and chest. And he would have had, Evan would have had a tough time today. I just mowed the lawn earlier. So allergens everywhere. (laughs) It would have been game over. So Mika was born six years ago. We started this podcast before Mika was born. Yep. We started this podcast before Crystal was pregnant. It's messed up, man. It's really messed up. It was up. a long time ago. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, folks. On this uh, off-season, well, off-season for the Red Wings, on this off-season edition, uh, we are down a host. Evan Lobsinger has uh, been arrested on uh, the charges of selling counterfeit crystals in some island nation. So we're working on posting his bail. Uh, so it's just Brad and I. Brad, thanks for, for sticking it out. I'm here mostly. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking to you about Red Wings hockey, some news in the world of the Red Wings, uh, Captain Dylan Larkin switching his agency, which has caused, for some reason, a little bit of a a kerfuffle, so to speak. Uh, Barry Trotz has reportedly met with the team, and uh, some news regarding uh, some administration and people adjacent to the Red Wings. Uh, we'll be talking about the playoffs. Brad and I are going to have a very civil discussion on a <laughs> the Calgary uh, overturned goal, and I'm sure it's going to be very normal and very calm, and it's not going to take a lot of editing uh, of this screaming at that uh, start. It should be easy, because like, I will convince you very quickly that you are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> won't, won't take much and we'll be talking about a prospect that is uh, really relevant to red wings fans you'll probably have heard his name uh an option for uh the eighth overall pick and he plays center so i know a lot of people are big on uh this person uh this this prospect being drafted by eisman so we'll see where that one goes uh before we do that i first want to oh my god this table's a mess I hardly prep this room. Like Evan's gotten everything goes to everything goes to hell. Uh, before we do that, I first want to tell you about uh, the Jamie Daniels Foundation and the work that you all have done to help us raise money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation uh, over the past season, season plus. So at the start of last season, alongside Prashanth Iyer, uh, we started the Wings Money on the Board campaign, wherein you made pledges based on the Red Wings season, uh, good, bad, big, small events. You pledged whatever amount that you could or wanted to. And throughout the year and at the end of the season, we tallied that money up and you have raised over $29,000 for the Jamie Daniels Foundation so far. Once the Calder Trophy is announced, I know a lot of other pledges will trigger and then we might hit our stretch goal of $30,000. So visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org to find out more about what they do and uh, Wings Money on the Board if you have donated or if you are planning to donate. Thank you all so, so very much. Speaking of Prashant Iyer, the... uh, what or if I were Steve Eisman series part two is uh, up on the wingedwheelpodcast.com blog. So go check that out. The link will be in the description. It is all about coaching options, a, compre- a comprehensive list of of most of the most relevant uh, coaching candidates for Eisman and the Red Wings. So um, it's still and it's still up to date because Barry Trotz hasn't been hired out. So there's that. Okay, why don't we start off here? 
uh, with Barry Trotz. So it has been reported that he has indeed uh, met with Detroit. Although I do like whenever people talk about, you know, where Barry Trotz has been. It's like he's spoken to Winnipeg. Winnipeg has confirmed this for us. They shared his hotel room. He's spoken to Philadelphia. Philadelphia has said exactly this to him. Here are photos of him on the streets in Philadelphia with a sandwich in hand. Vegas. Vegas is rumored to be announcing the hiring of Trotz on X date at X time. You know, the GM will be wearing this color shirt with this tie. And then it's, we believe he's spoken to Detroit. That's all we can confirm. (laughs) So, and he's also going to speak. Those are all real teams that are in on trots. And he's also going to speak to Dallas um, as it, it came out a little while ago that they are going to be looking for a new head coach over there. So that's a lot of competition. And you mentioned this previous on previous episodes, Brad, that's not, um, it's not to say that Detroit's not a desirable destination, but there's a lot there depending on what Trotz wants that would outweigh what Detroit could offer. Yeah. I mean, obviously with the coach of Trotz's, I don't know, we'll call it talent. He's probably not keen on a rebuild and, you know, where the Red Wings are at in the rebuild is uh, very much up for debate. You know, a team like Dallas, who's in a better position to win now, Vegas, uh, Winnipeg, those are teams that are very clear in the we want to win this year and we want to win the Stanley Cup. There is no waiting around. If it doesn't happen next year, it's a bad season. And that is, I assume, what Trotz wants. The one thing that I was kind of thinking about, and this is just spitballing, you mm-hmm. know, because if he's interviewing with Detroit, it obviously means he's considering it or else he wouldn't even take the interview. Right. Right. Are they likely? No. The only thing I could kind of justify why if I were Barry Trotz, I would pick the Red Wings kind of couples with the rumor that he was getting into management because honestly, I don't think Steve Eisman's going to let him have a whole hell of a lot of control uh, in, in terms of that. But where Trotz could have some input is because the Red Wings are kind of around that stage where they're quote unquote coming out of the rebuild. And they are probably in the market of bringing up good prospects, acquiring better players, and, you know, in turn, moving up the standings from this point. He could have a lot of input into what type of team he ends up with. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Barry Trotz isn't going to sit over Steve Eisman's shoulder saying, draft this guy, sign that guy, you know, make this trade. I don't think Steve Eisman would allow that, but Trotz could go. I would like this type of defenseman. I would like this type of forward. And we're going to deploy this type of system. Build the team that you best can to accommodate that. And Eisman can go, yep, that's totally reasonable. I will do that. So if I if Trotz is serious about the management, kind of, you know, building a team to his liking, that's probably the only advantage where Detroit could offer a lot of things that other teams couldn't just because of where they're at, the cap flexibility to have, the sheer volume of prospects and picks they have. Trotz could, over a, a couple of years, end up with a team very much to his liking. Now, obviously, if you're a Red Wings fan, do you want a coach to have that much input? Sure, that's very much up for debate. We could we could argue the merits of that till. Till we're blue in the face, but I I think that the one advantage Detroit could have, Iserman willing. That's a really good point, right? So 
you, Brad, you mentioned this on a previous episode where you said, and, and just now, obviously, where you said Eisenman's not the kind of GM who's very hands off. Like he's, I also don't think he's standoffish or controls everything that happens in and out, right? Like, look at Pat Verbeek and what he's doing. Look at Julian Breesbaugh and what he's doing. Especially Julian Breesbaugh should, should have been the first name there. He might go on for a third consecutive cup. He has his his brain trust and he has his circle and, and he leans on people. He brought in Nick Lidstrom for that very reason. And so you're right in that whoever he brings in as a coach will at least have the option to influence. When we talk about the rebuild, we've talked about it in essentially one single dimension from almost the time we started this podcast, and that's drafting. Who are you going to bring in via draft? You would love to talk about who you're going to bring in via trade, but this is the NHL and further, this is Steve Eisman. So there is no predicting when a trade is going to happen. And the only thing that you can say confidently is that there'll be few and far between because that's just the way the NHL works. So we've talked about how are you going to shape this team via draft. But yeah, as free agency opens up and as you start to use that cap space, the kind of free agents you bring in is going to matter. The kind of guys that you pick in the you know third to fifth round are gonna, that you're going to want guys that are going to fit a system because you're going to hope the coach stays for a long time. You're going to want free agents who are going to help elevate those guys that you just drafted. And it really just depends on what kind of tool the coach wants to use and the, the tool being the player, not tool like, you know, me and you. But in, in all seriousness, there is going to be a benefit to a, a coach who knows what he wants there. And not to say if, if the Red Wings or Eisman brings in a coach who doesn't have like strong opinions in that regard, uh, that it would be a bad thing. But yeah, that's it. It's a good point. Trotz doesn't necessarily have to have no control if he does choose to come to Detroit. So we'll see. Again, I think Winnipeg for the hometown sense, Vegas for how close they are. Uh, I don't know that Philly is more appealing to Detroit, just objectively speaking. Yeah, I don't know what than Detroit. Philly is at all, unless Philly's appeal would simply be cheese sticks. Whatever the other teams offer, we will outbid them. Yeah, that's about the only advantage Philly could, in theory, have because yeah, where they are as an organization in terms of a rebuild or going for it, they are trailing behind multiple other teams in the race for both reasons. So. But again, if uh, every other team's offering five million and Philly comes along and says we'll give you eight, well, Barry Trotz is going to Philly. <laughs> I also can't even comment on what it's going to be like to pay a coach, uh, like a superstar coach, right? Because yeah. those contracts they they ballooned for a long time in the you know the Babcock to Toronto era, and they've since come down a little bit. Rod Brindamore, I think, screwed over a lot of coaches with the contract he took. Um, we've not run into with the Red Wings any internal salary cap you know big problems with that but again the coaches don't count against the salary cap so we don't know what if there's going to be any question there but they're not paying jeff blashell anymore so it doesn't it's not as if they're paying two coaches like they fired one so that's an important distinction to make so yeah we'll see how it goes um i'm not going to bed praying for it every night i just i don't think it's that entirely likely but I, i do think it's an option and like you said the fact that he took that meeting it's it's one leg up on a, I'm sure a lot of other teams who would love to have been in the room. And if you took that and if that interview did happen, well, ownership had to sign off on it. So yeah, they're at least considering the idea of paying him. Yeah. Okay. Some news about Captain Dylan Larkin, who uh, is 
on coming up on the last year of his contract, uh, he is switching his representatives, his uh, agency, uh, to Matt Williams, Pat Brisson, and CAA. So he switched uh, away from his previous agency. And let's just clarify, that isn't an entirely uncommon thing. Uh, Pat Brisson's clients, you know, the top of the list here, John Tavares, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Kopitar, Crosby, Giroux, Duchesne, Hughes, Pedersen. You go to CAA, that's a that's a big hitter. That is a big name in the room, and that is a star player who's coming up on a a massive, what will be the biggest contract of his career in all likelihood. Um, but what is interesting about it is his previous agency put out a statement, which was like, it read a little, to me, it was a little bit like sour grapes, but why don't I read it out to you? So it's from uh, KO Sports, um, Kurt Overhart, who was his pre was part of his previous representation. He said, from a relationship standpoint, Dylan Larkin would work primarily with my business partner, Joe Oliver, through the past 11 years. Joe has thoughtfully guided Dylan through countless matters, both on and off the ice. There was never a single issue raised between Dylan and Joe for the entirety of their professional relationship, and Joe is completely blindsided by this decision. For the past several months, Joe has been working directly with Dylan in preparation to negotiate his contract extension with the Red Wings. As with all of our clients, we our work on behalf of Dylan was uh, at the highest standards in all situations. Um, and then they finish by saying we are very disappointed in his decision and the timing. So I just want to preface this. I don't think this has any bearing on anything that, the Red, that Red Wings fans who are looking at the, the cap hit in the impending contract. I, I don't think there's anything to worry about in that regard, right? Like this doesn't strike me as something that will materially affect the cap. Could Larkin's about to get the biggest contract of his life, and he's probably going to want to maximize that as he should. As he should, yeah. So I don't think this is Dylan Larkin saying, okay, get me the hell to unrestricted free agency. I want to absolutely maximize. This is him saying, I know what I'm worth. Get me what I'm worth. What I'm saying is this agency seems like so shocked and surprised and they said they had already started the work. So to me, this is one of two things and without knowing Dylan personally and without knowing any inside information on this, something went wrong in terms of, uh, you know, the relationship between Dylan and the, the agency, which is whatever. Or like you said, Dylan Larkin thought this is the biggest contract of my career. I only have one shot at this. I'm not entirely confident that this is as big of a hitter as I want in the room. I'm going to bring in Pat Brisson. There's also the sense that like these guys all talk to each other, like NHL players talk to each other. So Dylan's talking to his buddies across the league and they're like, Hey, you know, CAA and Brisson and, and um, I can't remember who the other name was here. Uh, Matt Williams. It's like, they got in the room for me before we got everything we wanted or they're super easy to work with, or they're so accommodating, or they're just as hands-on as you like, or they they keep you just informed as you like. It's just a matter of preference. And yeah, I, I think that's a pretty normal thing. But the statement was funny. I was like, I don't really understand what's happening here. It could be so many things. I have a hard time even speculating on it. It could be something just like a philosophical difference. Um, Larkin could be like, here's what I want my next contract to look like. And they could be going, don't know if that's realistic, my guy. Uh, you're not getting a no trade clause at you know this amount of money, this amount of turn, or something along those lines. Like Larkin going to them and going, "This is what I want," and them going, "We don't think that's realistic." 
and him going, all right, then I'm going to find someone who believes they can do it. Yeah. I'm not saying that's what it is, but it could very well be that simple. So it's it's funny because with Larkin, you almost have the naive sense, and this is like from a fan perspective, that he's going to come in at a cheaper contract than you think. But then you just got to think about it for a second, right? Like this is going to be the biggest contract he's ever going to sign. He's probably going to want to maximize term and he's going to want to maximize dollars unless he wants to get tricky with it in terms of, oh, the cap's going to go up halfway through. So let's sign a four. But let's be real. This is going to be a seven or eight year deal. A lot of people are saying you have to, for a star center, who is your number one center, you're going to be paying at least nine. And Red Wings fans will have wanted to think he's going to want to take that hometown discount. And he's going to want to make sure this team can win around him. He might take seven and a half to eight and a half. The nine seems more likely to me now, but again, who's on the other end of the negotiating table is also a big part of this. Yeah, Larkin's contract negotiating is going to be fascinating because I think one of the big sticking points in this debate, at least in the fan realm, will be, what do you pay a number one center? Well, this is what you pay a number one center. Okay, well, let's look at the other number one centers that got paid that. Oh, Larkin's numbers aren't close to that, right? So... Because he like we've always argued for years and years he's he's a tweener that like he's he is a number one center but he's not one of the top number one centers in the league so are you gonna pay uh, Dylan Larkin like an Alex Barkov like an Austin Matthews like uh, no. what Nathan no of course you're not but what is Larkin gonna try to oh, I get? hope they pay him like Nathan McKinnon yeah, yeah. <laughs> what Nathan McKinnon is gonna get. Is Larkin worth that? No, obviously not. Is Larkin gonna try for that money? No. But he's probably going to try and get really damn close. Yeah. So, like, what is a roughly point per game center worth? And that's where it's going to be tricky because there's some comparables. It's not a ton of comparables. And, you know, he holds the cards of, well, I'm your best center. I'm the best you got. You got to pay me what I am what I think I'm worth or I'm going to walk in a year. And Eisman goes, well, we're not paying you nine and a half million dollars. You're not worth nine and a half mil. And then it turns into this game of chicken, right? So that's just one path, though. That's one path. And yeah, and of course, like that's me basically making a very simple statement complicated. Larkin's going to go, I'm worth this. Eisman's going to go, no, you're worth this. And then they spend the next year trying to hammer out the number in between. Yeah. It's that's all it comes down to. But because Larkin is in the unique position of being the only good center on a bad team he does hold a couple extra negotiating points that other players in his exact scenario might not because they could be playing behind an austin matthews or something like that yeah things working against detroit's favor here it's their only good center let alone star good center uh who's worthy of that top line he is an unrestricted free agent he is in In a year yeah, upon expiry, uh, he is in his playing prime-ish in terms of how people treat contracts, and he has all like he has the leverage in that sense. Things working in Detroit's favor. He loves playing for Detroit. He has the C on his chest. It, this team means a lot to him, and, and obviously the fan base has accepted him in what is a very prestigious club of captains, and that does mean something. So, my prediction. This will be maybe more expensive than people are giving it credit for. I don't think you're going to get Dylan Larkin on a $7 million a year deal. But I do think this will get done maybe relatively quickly. 
I don't want to say like as of July 2nd or anything or July 13th. That's actually the, the date everything got moved. I, I don't think as of July 13th that'll happen. Um, but relatively soon. And I think it's going to be a number that rewards Larkin for the position he's in, but it's still fair because it's Steve Eisman and his crew on the other end of the table. I don't see this being a big drawn out thing. Um, I'm not necessarily scared by the fact that it's CAA representing him or anything like that. I think that's just a good sports agency representing a good player. And both of them have a pedigree and it makes sense that they're working with each other. That's all. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be super contentious, but obviously there's going to be a lot of. Well, actually, lot I should say happens with some, of, some of the points you said that work in Detroit's favor, I actually don't think work in Detroit's favor. Like the fact that he's a fan favorite in the captain, I think that works in Larkin's favor. Yeah. I'm I'm your guy. Don't, don't you want to keep me? Pay me. Yeah, I don't know, but. It's different, right? Like I think a, I think everyone knows that Larkin is negotiating here with as unrestricted free agent. So if he doesn't, if he doesn't stay, like let, let's say in the, uh, in an alternate universe where he doesn't stay, and I don't think that happens. I don't think Eisenman lets him walk for nothing, ever. Um, I I think people would read that situation of okay, well then that's at least partially Larkin's choice. I don't see that as being a huge chip in his favor for this negotiation. You never know, though. Yeah, you never know. You never know. If, the, the fact that he went out and switched agents, that, that is the one thing it's an indication of, uh, is at the very least, he's not screwing around. You have to hope that that's just like a personal difference with the previous agency, and that's why he switched. Yeah, it sounds bad. You don't want to say things went sideways, but it's probably a better sign if things went sideways. Yeah, because then it's like, oh, well, these guys aren't working out for me anymore because of X thing that happened, or I didn't like this from the person I was working with. What agency am I going to go with? Default good agency for good players end of story let's get this contract wrapped no way to know everything's speculation and until uh we start getting a few weeks into the ne- where the negotiating window has been open or the window where he can sign the contract is open i don't think we're gonna get a very good feel for this because also too like Larkin's been hurt a bunch the last couple of years which is probably gonna factor in a little bit so i don't think it's gonna be as all I'm saying is I don't think it's going to be as simple a negotiation as a lot of people think it might be. Interesting. Because there's a lot of gray area here. We're like a guy like Nathan McKinnon. Hi, you're one of the best players in the league. Uh, we've underpaid you forever, and this is going to be the last big contract you ever sign. Um, we're just going to fill out the eight years. You fill in whatever number you feel is fair. That's not the case here, right? The Players Association might might kidnap Nathan McKinnon because he's probably going to try to negotiate down his number again. Yeah, like if Nathan McKinnon makes under like 12 and a half, what a bargain. (laughs) This is going to be – it's going to be interesting because, again, like I mentioned before, it's going to influence what Bertuzzi makes provided he signs as well. And it's also going to be our first look at a major pillar in Steve Eisenman's salary structure for the the Red Wings' true core. It also could impact what Sider makes. It will impact what Sider makes. Because a lot of teams say, yeah, you don't make more than this guy. Yeah. And Eisman's, you look back at the Eisman era and the Lidstrom era. Lidstrom was used as that as that yeah. uh, benchmark, and that's that's what helped get Zetterberg, uh, Datsuk, you know, those guys who were coming in, in a way that made sense for Detroit. Where for that like four or five year span, where they turned into one cup and what cup finals loss, um, they were able to fit those players in. We'll see. The fact that we see Tampa Bay on their way to potentially a third straight cup bodes well in terms of how uh, Eisman sets up his teams, but 
credit to Julian Breezebois and credit to zero state tax or state income tax in Florida as well. It helps. It certainly helps. Uh, some other news. Valtteri Fiopula won one gold with Team Finland in the World Championships today. Congratulations. And uh, joined the Triple Gold Club. So Stanley Cup, Olympic gold, and a World Championship gold medal. So good on Val, former Red Wing in his glory. Uh, and then some updates from Red Wings administration. Ryan Rizmierski is uh, no longer listed uh, on the Red Wings Hockey Ops directory. Uh, he was the co-chief amateur scout for Detroit for the past three seasons with Jesse Walline. So just some shuffling of staff and administration going on in the background. That kind of thing happens around this time every year. So that update coming through. I think Max noticed that. So What was his exact role? Co-chief amateur scout. Interesting. Yeah, for the past three seasons. Because uh, I've always been curious about what might happen internally with the Red Wings scouting when you look at the European versus North American splits. The- so if he was one of the guys in charge of like if North American drafting was kind of more his domain, that could be a curious move just because of how poorly they've done in North America. But that's just purely speculation based on absolutely nothing. There's also the the sense that that still has time to turn around, right? Like Carter Mazur, Mazur's from last draft has looking looked, all right. Yeah, Kosa's looking all right. Although I feel like goalies should be in a different category entirely. You need to be like a, a yeah. seer with a crystal ball. Yeah. Hannes has turned it around a little bit. He's interesting. He's interesting. But overall, the last you know decade or so drafting out of North America has left a lot of um, a lot to be desired. I agree. There is a lot to be desired. But one point I'll make, and it's not a counter, but it's just a qualifier. Look at who the Red Wings have taken with their top picks. Edvinson, Swedish. Raymond, Swedish, Cider, German, Zadina. He played in the queue. He was drafted out of North America. He was drafted out of North America. Rasmussen drafted out of, out North, of North America. America. Chalosky. Out North of North America. Svechnikov. Out of North America. <laughs> Dylan Larkin. Hey, here we go. That point that point went sideways fast. Because in my head, I, I went yeah, your picture. You got all these European names, and they're like, "Oh no, no, they played here." I said Zadina in my head. I'm like, "Check." I was like, "But it's fair. You have to base it on where they played." I'm like, "Zadina did not play. He did not get drafted of the Czech Republic. He got drafted out of the queue." <laughs> well, shame on me, huh? Yeah. Okay. Uh, why don't we first? Met- We're going to talk about the playoffs and some prospects, but why don't I first mention that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. Plus, they're tons of fun with unique bet types like same-game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Now what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. 
You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. You ready to argue about the playoffs, Brad? Always. Let's start with the uh, the easy one first. The hockey gods are sometimes a little heavy-handed with how they write the script. It's a little cheesy. It's a little campy. But God, do I love it. It's so good. When Darren Helm scored that goal with like five-ish seconds left to put Colorado up in game six, heartbreaking for St. Louis fans. It happened in St. Louis they thought they might have they were going to OT and they might have had a chance to send this back to game seven in Colorado. Darren Helm takes a slapper, scores. I thought, oh, what is every Red Wings fan thinking about right now? His overtime winner in game five against Chicago in the Western Conference Finals in 2009, where I think they canceled the Stanley Cup final that year. They didn't play it. Yeah, this was the first COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, that's great. Every Red Wings fan is thinking about that. It's really cool. It, you know, you never want to see Colorado have any modicum of success, but hey, in all seriousness, it's great to see Darren Helm do well over there and make an impact. So I'm pulling up the clip of that and I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, May 27th, 2009, to the day 13 years prior, the exact same date. And I was like, "That yeah, this is all scripted. The simulation is a little much, <laughs> but it was good. So that was really, really, really cool to see. Congrats to Darren Helm and... um Again, a lot of people have mixed feelings on, on rooting for Colorado, but seeing him score that goal, that big of a goal, 13 years apart in his career, that is massive. First playoff goal in six years. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of people who Poor guy. the amount of people who were uh, talking about it on Twitter and, and I was reading the comments, I was genuinely laughing. They're like, Darren Helm's still in the league? Like this, this highlights from a, a game that was on the versus network. Like he's ancient. <laughs> I, someone legitimately, they weren't kidding. They're like, I thought this was Darren Helm's son. That's how long ago. <laughs> I was like, you're, I feel old now. Like it's not guys, please. He left the Red Wings like very recently. <laughs> please don't make me feel this way. So yeah, why don't we start with that one? Colorado wins that series 4-2. It did get interesting there for a quick second. Should enough, but it did. Should enough, but it did. Yeah. Darcy Kemper hasn't been great. Um, has me real excited for the Eastern Conference Finals now. The Western Conference Finals. Western Conference. Sorry, yeah. Two like just teams with absolute superstars going in with shaky goalies. Oh, could be beautiful, but yeah, no. Colorado let St. Louis hang around a little too long because there were long stretches of that series, multiple times where Colorado just looked like they were on another tier of hockey than the Blues, but. Colorado wasn't consistent with it, and and they very frequently had mental lapses, significant ones, and at periods for stretches of time where they just didn't look like themselves. I mean, how do you not close that series out in game five after Nathan McKinnon scores one of the greatest goals we've seen in the playoffs in the last decade with like under three minutes left to give you the lead? You can't hold that lead? That was – so we were recording last episode as 3 nothing. Yep. 
And uh, the way that game went is it went 3-1 after and then 3-2 and then 3-3 with under five minutes left in the third. And then Nathan McKinnon scores with under three minutes left to make it 4-3. And then Robert Thomas tied it with under a minute left in the game. And then Tyler Bozak won it for St. Louis just a few minutes into OT. If you want to be a serious cup contender, like you can't let stuff like that happen. If like because as mu- as bad as Edmonton is in a lot of ways and as much as we will and continue to make fun of a large chunk of their roster. Yeah, Connor McDavid's not letting you out, uh, off the hook with those mistakes. Here's the thing. Yeah, Kemper hasn't been great, but I have more faith in Kemper against the Oilers than if Vili Husso made it through. Vili Husso's oh. a great goalie, but he's not been good. He wasn't good at these playoffs. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and Darcy Kemper, I will still argue, is the best goalie in the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> yeah. So, But I don't know. In games with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and – and Nathan McKinnon and everything Colorado has, it almost doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. You could, you and Evan could be the goalies for this series, and I don't think it's going to make much of a difference either way. Do I get their salary? Sure, why not? Evan wouldn't take that pay cut. No, absolutely not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so again, call it. But the thing with Colorado, um, kind of branching off what I just said is, they're so damn talented that they were that inconsistent in that series, and they went up against a very damn good team in St. Louis and still won in six. I think, still won. I think you're right. There, like, first of all, if you watch the series, if you look at the underlying numbers, whatever you want to do, Colorado is a better team through and through. I think you're right in that it was momentary lapses or just moments where St. Louis found it, right? Like they, they found a way to eke it out, tying it with under tying the game twice and then winning it right in overtime. Like that's the kind of stuff that you have to do in the playoffs. But over the span of the series, Colorado was a better team. I do I wasn't surprised to see St. Louis give them a run. I think the way they did it was hysterical and what a wild series, but um, I wasn't surprised. But yeah, they poked holes and I have yet to see a team in these playoffs who haven't had some kind of weakness or a hole poked in them. I think the the least of which has been Tampa Bay, which is a horrifying thought because they're going on a three-peat now. Yeah, they got filled by the Leafs in game one and just kind of went, yeah, that's enough of that. Like, I mean, again, a lot of the things, the problems with Colorado in the playoffs so far, we can't, well, against, I shouldn't say so far, against St. Louis, are kind of some of the problems that apply to Florida against Tampa in the sense of, you can tell they haven't been there because they don't have the ability to just be completely locked in every shift like Tampa is, live and die with every shift, every period. But they're getting there. They obviously didn't fall as flat as Florida did and have uh, the same problems to the same degree, but also they're probably more talented than that than Florida, so which helps. Um, Why don't we talk about yeah. the Battle of Alberta? Yeah. The only disservice that happened in this series was that it didn't go to seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that series was everything everybody hoped it would be in terms of just chaotic, hate-filled fire wagon hockey edmonton deconstructed jacob markstrom absolutely and that that belongs to the defense as well like that blame belongs to the defense there were times where markstrom was just completely exposed um i was talking to a friend of mine and and he knows goalies and he was saying like they keep getting him between his his trapper and his pad and they keep finding that spot and then you watch and you're like yeah, he's la- like his his trapper's lagging behind his elbow. It does, doesn't seem to be able to find that spot consistently. He keeps missing the puck there. And then there's times where Markstrom's fine, 
but the the defense like Edmonton's offense is just overwhelming shots from everywhere like high quality from angles that Markstrom's not expecting it they just overwhelmed and that's team offense and then that's also game breaking talent and McDavid and Dreisaitl and company like in every single way they just completely overwhelmed Calgary it seems like they staggered they won their first game and then they staggered and they were never able to regain their composure or their footing and Edmonton just was relentless. Yeah, Edmonton let in three, one, three, and four goals. So it wasn't like a defensive masterclass by them, but it didn't need to be because they didn't. They And nine. Don't forget the nine. Right. I, I'm talking after the first game. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. But Edmonton scored under five goals once and it was a 4-1 win. <laughs> so we joked. We said. Are the Edmonton Oilers just going to try to like McDavid and dry settle their way to the cup finals? Are they just going to like score a trillion goals and hopefully they only have a billion against? Yeah, honestly, maybe. I don't know how they're going to match up against against uh, McKinnon and the Avs. That's going to be one hell of a series. But man, Edmonton has proved a lot of people wrong and I, I can't say for sure that they won't be able to do it. I just want to point out that before that series, I picked them to win the series and I... Did you actually? Yep. Good for you. Yep. Um, in seven, not five. Five has to be shocking to everyone. Even if you're an Oilers fan, five yeah. has to be shocking. And when I got questioned on it, my entire justification was it was, I don't know if I can bet against McDavid at this point. I'm, spoiler, I'm going to bet against him in the conference final because holy shit, Colorado. But yeah, but I'm not going to feel great about it and I'm not going to be confident in it. But um, yeah, I mean, Mike Smith literally tried gifting the Flames a game and they still just pissed it away minutes later. Uh, I have a hard time deconstructing what went wrong with Calgary because everything went wrong with Calgary. Their top line wasn't dominant. Their depth scoring wasn't really there. Their defensive systems got absolutely shredded by the Oilers. Their Vesna goalie collapsed. Like the perfect storm of everything just going horribly wrong. Because again, much like I said after the first round when I asked you guys that dumb hypothetical, it still holds up after two rounds of the playoffs, Ryan. If I told you Mike Smith has been bad, the Edmonton defense is slightly better than expected, but still bad, and they're in the conference finals, what would you say? <laughs> Who messed up? Like, <laughs> What's wrong? Yeah, here I, I we say, are. I would say how many Calgary players had to go, like, had devastating injuries and had to leave the playoffs. And I responded, none. Yeah, uh, that would be bizarre alternate universe stuff that we're used to at this point. And here we are. You're right. Like, it's just been absolutely nuts. I love it. I think it's this is the kind of you don't see this a lot. You you could have been watching hockey for the last twenty years religiously. Every playoff round, every team watch every game. You won't see this storyline a lot. It's not common. And honestly, in some areas of the NHL, it wouldn't have been possible. They would have just been shut down, clutch, grab, held, slashed, everything. But with increased scoring and with Connor McDavid, you know, not talking about era adjusted or, or based on their time being literally the best hockey player to ever grace this game in this league. And he is the most talented hockey player that has ever existed. And Leon Dreisaitl tied with him in points. <laughs> yeah. With a bad ankle. Yeah. On one leg. <laughs> I am. I don't think it's a cakewalk for the Avs. I don't know that they have what it takes to stop what they just did to Calgary. I'm going to stop betting against Connor McDavid, and I'll take I'll take him to go to the Cup Finals here in like seven. 
a gr- an excruciating seven where it's going to be one of the ugliest Western Conference final wins you're you're going to see in a while. But I, I'll have to take Edmonton here. McDavid had and Drysdale had to be like two and a half points per game to get through Calgary. They're going to have to be close to four to get through Colorado, which I'm not entirely convinced won't happen. It's very possible. But Colorado, unlike Calgary, has the the true superstars to go up against them. Like, don't get me wrong, Calgary's top line was great all year. And and Johnny Goudreau and and Matt Kachuk and Elias Lindholm, they're like star level players. They're not Nathan McKinnon. They're not Kale McCarr. So I'm not McDavid and Drysidle might very well be the two best players on the face of this earth right now. But if they are, McKinnon and McCarr are right there. And once you get past that, Edmonton doesn't have Landeskog, Rantanen, Kadri, Devontae's. If this is going to be a matchup of star power, as crazy it is to say, the team with Connor McDavid has less star power. <laughs> <laughs> These playoffs are so stupid in the I, best way. I love it so much. Speaking of stupid, Carolina still can't win on the road. Yep. You know, they're two games away from setting the all-time professional sports record for only the home team winning in playoffs. Only, only the 2008 Celtics went 15 games to start a playoffs before a road team won. That series is going to seven. Back home to Carolina, where they they have won every game. The Rangers have won every one of their home games because Carolina can't win on the road. Game seven, do we see the streak continue? How can you bet against it? <laughs> you almost want to say the Carolina Hurricanes that you're seeing at home are the Carolina Hurricanes. Like That is what that team should be doing. Even on their off nights, they find a way to win. The talent shows up. The goaltending is a bit better. The impact on the ice is a bit better. And they just kind of disappear on the road in different ways. Like, we're not going to get into the nitty gritty here. But, yeah, how do you bet against it? But you do, hockey's not a game of following patterns every time. What have we seen these playoffs other than breaking the mold, right? Tampa Bay lost a number one center and then swept the next round. Edmonton Oilers have a goalie who let in a puck from 130 feet out and then in a previous round gave the puck away for a game-winning goal. That led to eventually to a game winning goal, and there they won four one against the team that I had winning the Stanley Cup in my bracket. Like it's this whole series is breaking, this whole playoffs is breaking the mold, and who knows, Shesterkin could go into Carolina and do it. I mean, he had two apples next game, so he's gonna do it by him damn self if he has. To. I love watching that guy dish the puck. Oh, it's so fun! I'm so happy we get to watch him in this league for a long time. Do you know how happy I am that? Mike Smith is in the conference finals right now and not the best puck handling goalie in the playoffs remaining. So we don't have to hear about that constantly. Well, he is, honestly, he's such a notable goalie in terms of everything he does on the ice. Like he, I, he's a character. I appreciate him because he's not boring. He's never boring. Look at the disparity between the two Eastern Conference final, Vasilevsky and maybe Shesterkin. It could be Ranta and, and uh, Kotchitkov or if Carolina makes it through. And then in the West, you have Mike Smith and Darcy Kemper. <laughs> and that's not a knock. Like, I re- I think Darcy Kemper is a phenomenal goalie, but Vasilevsky and Shesterkin might be the two best goalies on the planet right now. Oh, they are the two best goalies on the planet right now. I don't know if there's a case for anybody else. I will not hear this Jonathan Bernier slander. Just because he was hurt doesn't mean he's lost. he lost his belt. <laughs> 
Yeah, that and okay, and the, there's no game to jinx here. Game seven is on Monday. We're recording this on Sunday evening, which means there's no blown lead. It's going to happen because we talked about how you know Colorado in game five five is going to put this away because they're up three nothing, and then you know St. Louis goes and do what they did. Um, so we'll see how that one turns out. Before next episode, we'll know what our conference finals are. I just love that there's a path now with the way the rest of the playoffs are shaking down that Carolina could not win a single game on the road these entire playoffs and win the Stanley Cup. Because <laughs> they have home, if they win, they have home ice advantage against Tampa Bay. And if Edmonton takes out Colorado, oh, Carolina would have home ice advantage over Edmonton. Oh my God, we are so close to an 06 rematch. That just dawned on me. Is yeah, Car- oh yeah, Carolina. That was one of the best cup finals like of my adult life was the chaotic mess that was Carolina Edmonton in 2006. And with Rod behind the bench, who was the captain of those Carolina Hurricanes. This time the Edmonton Oilers uh, leading scorer is Connor McDavid, not Fernando Pisani, so their odds are a little better. Fernando Fernando Pisani is still one of the funniest like playoff performer stories in modern hockey history like who is this guy who just randomly was <laughs> forced to be reckoned with destroyed the detroit red the championship detroit red wings was one of the last things steve Eisman saw in his career i'm pretty sure uh was fernando pisani just lighting that team up playoff performer and then just disappeared just gone wow this is a uh, truly the weirdest timeline yeah really and is. like a lot and we're close to to like the storylines of that year repeating Carolina, the favored team with if Kachetkov ends up in net, the rookie goalie going up against the revolving door of uncertainty in net for the Oilers. <laughs> <laughs> like, this it's, is kind of funny. It's not going to be dull. It's not going to be a dull year at all. And then, of course, I say that and Carolina will lose tomorrow and the streak gets broken. But I just kind of want to see a reality where they don't win a single game on the road and win the Stanley Cup. Uh, a statistician's dream. Hockey analytics nerds are going to explode. Eye test nerds are going to explode. Everyone's going to explode. Neutral fans are going to have a great time. So I tried to move us to the next segment, Brad. But uh, <laughs> we in that whole Cal- Battle of Alberta series, we didn't talk about the goal that wasn't. Calgary thought they were going up with what was it like five minutes left in that game about yeah and oh man I can't get over that play because it was so heartbreaking I'm going to admit something I didn't see it live I, I I had to I knew the context going into it and I actually rewatched the game um, and I really focused in on that goal I wanted to see how it shook out live and it was Calgary thought they were going up 5-4 going into OT they weren't because the goal was eventually called back Blake Coleman after many like five six minutes of review it was determined that he kicked the puck into the net and it was no goal it went to ot and then who else other than Connor mcdavid won it distinct kicking motion okay mm-hmm. here's my thing and i'm gonna say it here let me go first because i'm gonna argue out both sides of my mouth <laughs> and then i'll let you make your point and then i'll tell you why you're ultimately wrong okay because okay. I'm going to argue both sides. Because I disagree with parts of both sides of this argument. Can I just... Can I open? Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Go for it. I think it was a kick. but And I, I won't say any of my qualifiers and you go and I'll go I'll, okay. I'll, after okay. you're done. So, there's two sides to this argument. There's the side arguing he did it intentionally and the side saying, no, he didn't. It's not a kick. 
where I fall on this is there was a lot of chaos in the crease when it happened. Blake Coleman was falling down, yada, yada, yada. He's trying to keep his balance. Like There was a lot happening in that very, very short amount of time from when he drove the net, bumped into the goalie, puck in the crease, him gliding past it, trying to keep his balance with the puck in front of him. The people who are arguing... There's no way he could have known and tried to kick that. Look at everything that was happening. Those people are wrong. He absolute professional level hockey players are absolutely coordinated enough to have the spatial awareness and the body awareness to know where that puck is Mm -hmm. and to be aware of the situation and, and to try and, you know, however, using whatever part of their body, get that puck in the net. So I, I fully side with your side of the argument on here that he absolutely knew what he was doing. Okay, so I didn't have to sit this far from you. You're not going to stab me in the chest no. today. Here's where you're wrong. That wasn't a kick. He didn't kick the puck. He guided the puck into the net. He tried oh, to put. Nah, that's the same. He tried. No, he tried. No, because you're allowed to direct the puck. You're in allowed the net to your, redirect the puck, which is closer to what he did than an actual kick. No, no, redirect is when you like angle your skate. So it redirects off of you. And it, like if the puck is going along the but ice. Here's, yeah. Here's where the argument gets cloudy is whatever people argued. Was that a redirection? No, not technically. Was it a kick? Definitely not a kick. He did neither of those things. He guided his foot to where the puck was going to be. <laughs> he ch- No, all he did, all he did like to be clear about this. And again, as just in my brain as a hockey player, what I would do in that situation and what it looked like Coleman did is he basically turned towards the puck. There's the puck. I'm going to go towards it and try to get whatever the hell I can to make sure this damn thing goes in the net. His foot certainly did that. Yeah. His foot did not propel by a kick in the puck into the net. I think it literally did. I think he propelled the puck into and it was already going in and I see yeah. and I think that's where you're you're getting hung up yeah. here and that's heartbreaking cuz had he not had he not moved a puck that was already moving forward forward even more, this wouldn't be a discussion. Yeah. But I think he did. I think he literally propelled it forward further. But not by a and here's the whole point of my argument. This is the the underscore to my thing. But not with a distinct kicking motion as it is written in the rule book if 50 percent of the hockey world look at the same play and cannot come to a consensus on what it is it is not distinct (laughs) Uh, well and for a league that trumpets over and over again if something is not conclusive we go with the call on the ice the call on the ice was good goal and not one person on the face of this earth will be able to convince me anything about that was conclusive or distinct again i side with you he absolutely knew what he was doing right i'm off nobody like he knew what he was doing so i don't accept that argument against me but it wasn't a (laughs) kick okay (laughs) rule 49.2 a goal cannot be scored by an attacking player who uses a distinct kicking motion to propel the puck into the net with his skate slash foot not it's not different to what you said that's a plain and simple that's the rule here's the thing i think that was a clear kick i think that was a distinct kicking motion was it unnecessary was it a soft kick was it at, at game speed was it hard to distinguish yes 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 but 
the f- I saw that replay for the first time and I said, yeah, he did. Like you said, Brad, you know how athletes are. He did that on purpose. And if, okay, let, let's not gatekeep this with athleticism. Look at the way he went into that net. He stuck his knee out further to the point where he risked injury by smashing it off yeah, the post. His leg hit the post because yeah. of him not moving his leg out of the way. Had he not tried to kick that puck, he would have planted his foot sooner and he would have not smashed into the post like that. Anyhow, the the part where I veer into now it's cloudy is they didn't call that right away. That didn't take a lot of review. So there's two things at play here. One there is a discussion going on in the war room in Toronto and, you know, it was un- inconclusive. Or two, this is one of the biggest calls they're going to make all playoffs and they want to give it the time and make sure it's right. But for me, I was like, the moment it went five, six minutes, yeah, then you're, then this is a thing. Not I think if they think not conclusive, I think if they came back in 60 seconds and said kick, I would have thought, absolutely, there's no way you could even argue that. I understand why it's heartbreaking. I think it was a kick, Brad. I, 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 I will agree. He knew what he was doing, but to me, that's not a kicking motion. That is him changing his lane and stretching his leg out. <laughs> it sounds like you're describing a kick no, in its composite step. But it's not, right? It's not a kick. Like It's basically like, I'm going to put my foot in a position where that puck is going to come to my foot. No, no, that's not what happened, though. I'm watching. No, that's not what ultimately happened. But that's what I think he was trying to do. Sure, yeah, he had yeah. he had great vibes, good intentions, but he yeah. kicked it in the end. Yeah, well, his <laughs> but it wasn't a kick. His the steel of his skate never left the ice. Uh, it left the ice. Did it? Yeah, yeah not from the replays I saw, but maybe I just had. Also, that's wording. not that's not any part of the rule. The whole leaving the ice thing is well, this, like, but that's what I mean. That's what is a distinct kick. That's where my argument comes in. It's what is a distinct kick? Because to the naked eye, that doesn't look like a kick. There's right. One, there's so, one thing that that would have poked the biggest hole in my argument, and I still would have argued my point here. But there are there are players who tried to redirect. They they tried that whole thing where they like kick their leg out, but not at the puck to redirect to it. redirect. Yeah, but they end up kicking, kicking the puck yeah. in. But because they made that redirection uh, redirecting motion, I can't remember who scored this. The ref called it good, and I Tierney, think that was, Chris Tierney yes. earlier this year. I remember the exact goal, and I think that was the wrong call. But a oh. lot of Flames Flames fans justifiably brought that up and they were like, why the hell did this count? And I thought my immediate thought was, you're right. And that shouldn't have. And that was there was a few more posted after that. But that was obviously the most egregious one. And to me, yeah, it's kind of like you can't change the precedence now because of the circumstance. <laughs> the NHL just watch me. <laughs> oh, God, I know. <laughs> I know the uh, like there is so much going into this that is kind of what is the backing for my whole argument nothing's distinct nothing is conclusive there was nothing presented to definitively overturn the call on the ice which again the nhl beats to death if not conclusive call on the ice stance okay you let us know whether you're on twitter tweet at us if you're on youtube or something you can leave comments facebook Whatever, uh, let us know. Uh, kick or no kick? I'll be interested to see where this one lands. I, I think, and I, please argue, kick or no kick, because nobody's disagreeing that Coleman knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah nobody's arguing. I do. I I'm on Ryan's side for that. I do not accept that argument. He knew what he was doing. It just comes down to <laughs> did he kick that goddamn puck? <laughs> the, the NH- I do think the NH- before we jump into Marco Casper here, I do think the NHL is going to this offseason f- further clarify what a distinct kicking motion is, yeah, which is going to muddy the waters even more. And it's going to be yeah, they almost have to get to the point of, and I don't want to see this if it goes off your foot. Like 
intentionally in any manner, it can't count. Yeah. If you're standing there and, oh, shit, it hit my foot and it went in, fine. But if, like, you're angling your foot or you're kicking it or whatever, if you knew you were trying to get that puck in the net with your foot, it can't count. I don't want to see that, but that's the only way they make it definitive. Meanwhile, you have Zach Hyman acting as a human post. <laughs> oh, that's really? a master of redirection. Oh, that I was that's literally 4D chess. It's one of the smartest hockey plays I've seen in a long time for Edmonton to set that up intentionally. Incredible. It's beautiful. Okay. And it worked again two games later. That that's the kind of stuff I watch where I'm like, they might do this. Yeah. <laughs> We are going to jump into our uh, 2022 NHL entry draft prospect profile. And this is a player who a lot of Red Wings fans are talking about. Marco Casper Centerman from Roglin, the SHL. Uh, you'll know that team, obviously, from Maurice Sider's time there. But Marco Casper is an interesting, interesting prospect and one who I wouldn't be surprised to see his name called in the top 10. I'm going to preface this by saying I'm... I, I've gone a lot of different directions on Marco Casper, and I'm not sure where I am now, but why don't we start us off, Brad? Let me know. Let us know what you think about him and where he would fall even close to number eight overall. He's probably the toughest guy in the top 20 for me to gauge. Tougher than Geeky. Yes. Because Geeky, I, I fully understand what he is as a player. For him, it's just a context, uh, a, a conversation about Will he hit his ceiling? Because I think we all understand what his ceiling is. I don't know that with Casper. He's kind of that guy, jack of all trades, master of none. I have a hard time falling in love with Marco Casper as a prospect because he doesn't do anything that looks overly impressive to me. Not a tremendous skate, not one of the best skaters in the draft, not one of the best shooters in the draft, not one of the hockey, highest hockey IQ players in the draft, not one of the best puck handlers in the draft, not one of the best passers in the draft. But he's also not bad at any of those things. So I can't really poke holes in his game. I can't say, here's what I definitively do not like about his game. Right. Um, so how, how do you project a guy where you, you love nothing about him, but you also don't hate anything about him? You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Is his ceiling a first liner? Well, I can't look at anything it does and go, yeah, it is. Because the answer for me is no. Do I see a reality where I'm like, oh, this guy, there's no way this guy misses out on the NHL. I'm like, well, yeah, no, I I, I think everything about his game is so solid that he's he has to make the NHL. I'll be shocked if he doesn't. But where I ultimately think I fall on him is, yeah, he's probably pretty good third line maybe second line center if everything falls right is that not where i where i ultimately fall in relation to the red wings is that's not what i'm looking for in the top 10 it's like are you going to get a player there yeah are you probably going to get a pretty good player there yeah are you getting a top 10 level talent unless a lot of his skill set dramatically improves probably not um, cause I know you brought him up and we we're talking about it before we were recording Marco, like Marco Casper versus Connor geeky. This is where ceiling versus floor debate gets super interesting. Cause we know Connor geeky's ceiling right. could be super high, but he has a long way to go on so many things for that to happen. But we also know because of his skill set, Connor geeky's floor is probably third or fourth line center, something along the lines of what a Re Michael Rasmussen is now. I don't see Marco Casper's ceiling being very 
much higher than that. But I will also argue, I think Marco Casper is more likely to hit his ceiling than a Connor Geeky. But when Geeky's floor and Casper's ceiling aren't all that dramatic, I tend to fall for take the swing. You, you know what I mean? I get that. And I think philosophically, I would agree. I think that that kind of argument becomes a lot more prominent the closer you get to the top two or three picks. And I'm not saying you have to have the top two or three pick, but when the Red Wings were drafting fourth or sixth or sixth or sixth or sixth, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that stood out a lot more to me. But at eight, I feel like they're just on that cusp where they pretty much have to bank on the seven teams before them to let something slip. Otherwise, they're looking at the next tier, so to speak. Here's a comparison, and I'm not necessarily talking about playing style, but just in terms of how flashy they are, perception coming into the draft in terms of, you know, offensive upside and and star power in, in any specific area. Anton Lundell. There for me there were elite traits with Lundell that I don't see in Casper. And and I'll I'll concede that I'm not sure that I have that same read with Casper as with Lundell cuz I I think when Lundell was drafted a lot of people said that's a great pick. That's a great value yeah. for you drafting him. Yeah, Lundell was that guy. The like the hockey IQ is so off the charts. Like you're like, yeah, I get it. I see it. I think Marco Casper, and also with Lundell, the production was off the charts. Where Lundell's is acceptable, but not anything special, and never has been. Not just in the SHL level. I think Marco Casper plays a complete enough game at center at his age, where I'm like, there has to be way above average hockey IQ there. Everyone you talk to or everyone who's said anything about him keeps talking about his maturity, his ability to learn, his responsibility in both ends. And the fact that that doesn't mean he shies away from, you know, driving up the middle or getting in the dirty areas or creating high danger chances or whatever. It doesn't necessarily come at the expense of at least doing those things offensively. But like you said, the the production hasn't been off the charts. I I don't disagree in terms of overall ceiling. I had I think Casper's isn't necessarily low, but it's cloudy. I can't peg where he's at. Could be something like Lundell where it's like, hey, this is a way better center than maybe people give him credit for. And Casper could be a bonafide number two C of the Red Wings. You can't you can't look at Casper and project him as a first line center. Otherwise, he'd be ranked way higher, right? He could. Of course, any player could turn into that much better of a player. But as the information we have right now, I think a great result for Casper would be a solid second line center, which would be something I would love for the Red Wings to pick. But like you said, could you swing for the fences and get a, a top pairing defenseman if Nemec or Juracek are there? Could you get Geeky, who could be a player where a lot of people are beating themselves up because they passed over him because he can just create offense at will if, if that's how he turns out to be the NHL? That's tough. But I look at Casper and I look at a guy who's already doing the things that you need to do to play the hardest position in terms of, you know, converting this to NHL talent. It's hard to get drafted as a center and stay as a center. Seems like he's doing everything right. He's doing it in both zones. He works his absolute ass off. He's he's getting better. Everyone, I'm looking at um, the notes here from, um, I think it's Scott Wheeler's uh, rankings, and he talked about what uh, Cam Abbott said about Casper, and and obviously, co- like managers and coaches are going to talk about their own players through the roof, but it's really promising stuff, right? So. Yeah, that kind of guy who has that kind of hockey IQ and who can play that position and and continues to get better. I can't rule him out of a possible pick for the Red Wings at eight in terms of what the Red Wings need and what Eisenman might be looking for. And I can't even rule him out of this would be someone who I would love to see on the Red Wings just because of what he can do. 
potentially positionally speaking, and maybe his ceiling is higher than we're giving him credit for. What I will say is I agree with you. There's a lot of much more enticing talent in terms of top end in and around him. So it would have you'd have to be pretty certain about Casper and how he translates. Yeah, the argument in favor of Casper is he's a 17-year-old playing in one of the best leagues in the world on a very good team. He has very room f- very little room for error in order to maintain a roster spot. So he probably is playing a little more conservatively because well, he can't make mistakes or he ain't playing. So once he gets a little older, a little better, a little more skill, he can open up and and really, you know, flexes his talent the argument i have against that with myself is well he wasn't a giant producer in the j20 in sweden either he wasn't bad but he he, he never kicked the doors down in that league either so it was about a point per game this season before he got yeah which up. which isn't bad but that's not like like guys who get picked in the 20s in the second round do that um so there, there's definitely something to be intrigued about but what again what it ultimately falls down to me false i don't even i can't speak english but there's gonna be a lot of options when the red wings pick no matter how the draft falls what are you looking for because if we're just talking centers there's a really strong likelihood that when the red wings get to eight they're gonna have their choice of savoy nazer geeky and Casper, at worst, probably three of them. And if you want to throw Brad Lambert in there, possibly five. I don't think anybody, I don't think there's a great argument that Casper's ceiling is higher than at the very least Nazar and Savoy. So am I going to be happy taking a safer bet and a more projectable player when guys like that are available? No, probably not. Right. We have a little more certainty with Casper than those other four guys, but again, talent-wise, I think of those five, he's probably fifth. I would, and, and this is like a lot of pieces falling. And that's not even factoring in defense. Right. This is a lot of pieces falling in a specific way, but I would really like to see if, the, okay, if the Red Wings really want Casper, sure, great, trade back. Yeah, but then again, that's also assuming that a team doesn't want to draft a centerman way higher. Yeah. Centermen and defensemen get drafted way higher than their stock all the time. Not all of them universally, but if you're going to see a reach, it's usually for those two. So I don't even know that a trade back would be the option. And then it's like, is the team really going to want to trade? It's a whole thing. It's very hard to do. So yeah, and if you're sitting, well, what happens if Savoy and Nazer and uh, and Geeky all go ahead of Detroit's pick because the run on centers. Then if you're the Red Wings, you smile and nod because that means probably one of the defensemen fell. So it's, it's, yeah. it's great scenarios either way. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are really big on Casper who maybe won't like a more conservative projection of him. Um, he, I will say he's in there with Cutter Gauthier and some other people who are I'm continually rewatching old stuff and just – trying to find out whatever I can about them because I think there's a little bit of mystery around who they are as a player. So intriguing to say the least. I certainly wouldn't hate to see him on the Red Wings, but it would be another gutsy pick in my mind. Yeah. Which <laughs> Eisman and the Red Wings are no stranger to. No, if, if anybody's even mentioned him in the breath of number eight, not gutsy enough for Eisman. <laughs> He's just going to drop Murray's cider again. Yeah, we're like – I don't know who, who the guy is, but like someone, uh, Jagger Fergus, congrats. Come on down. <laughs> Honestly, if I watch that, I go, 
yeah, all right. Yeah, <laughs> let's fine. do it. We watched him play. He was great. Yeah, why not? It's going to be that guy. It's going to be someone we've never even discussed the possibility of at eight. We just don't know who it is yet. And the fact that I just brought up Furcus, well, congrats. It's not him now. <laughs> yeah, usually it's Evan who gets it right. Okay, we're going to jump into overtime here and wrap up this episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast. Overtime uh, is first brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. if you want to support the show. Join the Dub Dub Club, uh, get in on the action on Discord and uh, everything else, and uh, just generally be closer as people to us three hosts. So for better or worse, maybe that's not such a good sell. <laughs> but no, seriously, thank you to all of you who support the show, especially through the, through the offseason. That is why we're able to keep the show running and give you this pre-draft content uh first comment here from clint banesh who says hypothetical the canadians want to get out from price's contract what does it cost them what is stevie asking for this year's first next year's first plus or minus that there's no world where the habs would trade this year's first but in terms of what would it cost to get rid of price's contract and i want to qualify by saying i think he'll lti retire yeah i it would cost a lot because there's a lot of uncertainty with them and a lot of term and a lot of cap hit. One, two, three, four more years at 10.5. Like you're talking dollars. multiple high-end futures yeah. to unload that. But I think two things happen here uh, in all likelihood. Carey Price is healthy enough to play still. And he's the goaltender of the Montreal Canadiens for the foreseeable future. Or he's not. And then he's LTI retired. So let's- now that does present a problem for Montreal though, because they already have Shea Weber in there, and that is that's that is eight million dollars in there. That is eight. That would be like eighteen million of LTIR, and that there is a limit on LTIR. Okay. So they would likely still want to move out one of those contracts, but they will have to give up assets to do it. Just if it's to a team that knows they're going to LTIR them, it's not that much of a premium. La- it's. A, a healthy price who's not playing well but isn't LTI retiring. Yeah, you're talking first plus high end prospect plus probably another one, if not another bunch of high end picks. Like it, it would be quite pricey. A second round pick moved more, one year of Mark Stahl, one year of Mark Stahl, and some people saw that as an underpayment from from the Rangers. So there is quite a bit going on. But there. that was with the also understanding that Mark Stahl was not going to be LTI would which means you're eating all of that cap hit no matter what, which might not be the circumstance with price, which is the only thing kind of saving Montreal here. <laughs> this is a funny comment from elite clutch goal scoring Darren Helm stand club says, oh, I'm sorry. I thought Dar- I was told Darren Helm couldn't shoot. <laughs> that was a hysterical goal for Helm to score too. Like just that clapper without any stick handling beforehand. The level at which I groaned, Watching Darren Helm successfully fire a puck through an entire fleet of traffic and a goalie in front of him after watching him take a billion shots in his career with just him and the goalie there and firmly hitting the goalie dead center. <laughs> um, Darbeck says, I just got a Mo Sider autograph puck from his debut game. That's awesome. So it got me thinking, do any of you have a, any Red Wings items slash collectibles that you'd fight in orangutan every year to keep safe? Multiple. You have your signed Gordy jersey. Correct. I would do that to protect that jersey for you. I also have a personalized autograph Lidstrom jersey. I didn't know that. Did I? It was there. You've seen it. 
Oh yeah, then I probably just uh the Mark Stahl 1000 shirts. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, large the top the the Toffet. The prophet of the towering behemoth says, "Hey guys, at what date do you think we'll know the new head coach at the absolute latest?" I have a hard time imagining they're going past the draft. I have that as a benchmark in my head too. I think a lot of people think it's going to be further out, but that's because you don't hear anything. Like okay, they're interviewing Trots, and let's say they're interviewing Trots, and that was even sooner than what they were anticipating because Eisner wanted to take more time to research, etc. If you're interviewing Trots, and you're interviewing as many other people as you can, because if you want to choose Trots, you need to know for sure that you're choosing Trots. So I don't even think they they did push the timeline up. I think they got on the work right away. But I yeah, I would have to imagine the draft is that that benchmark as well, and also that a few new teams have emerged as in need of a coach it's more competition the longer you wait the more names start dropping off the board yeah it's um you you want to do your due diligence but waiting hurts them at this point yeah okay uh this one is from babe landis cog says my partner had tea and there was a quote on the tag that said impression is for the now trust is for the future i think this is good for hockey both in terms of scouting and playoffs right now some relatively unproven teams in the conference finals could also relate to the Iser plan so that being said who has made the best impressions to lead you to trust in the player and or organization for me eiserman with tampa bay into detroit and abs into the western conference finals gives me a lot of trust since they made it over the hump. All I can think of right now is the Tampa Bay players. You look at what they did with Toronto and you look at what they did with Florida. Those are guys who found a way to dig deep when maybe they weren't playing their best hockey or maybe for some of the games Vasilevsky didn't show up for, show up for them or maybe they lost Braden Point long term and they still found a way to show up. And to me, they've done that. This is Altogether, the same core that won the previous two cups. That's why, despite all of my hopes that they wouldn't, you know, three-peat, I, I think they have a fantastic chance to do so. So, is this just question basically stating who's earned your trust that this isn't just an impression, this is who they are? Yeah. Okay. It's a cop-out answer. Connor McDavid. He's I, done it in the regular season as well. When was the last time Connor McDavid had a bad week? No. Oh. And the fact that his game has elevated in the playoffs he went from the best player in the world to the super mega best player in the world i mean he made one of the best teams in the league look absolutely ridiculous after basically wiping his ass with the kings the week prior like (laughs) i mean come on he has like a bad minute and everyone's like oh see Connor mcdavid got shut down and then he he goes and scores four points that game he said he said in a post-game interview he had a garbage game where he was riding his teammates coattail in a game in which he scored the overtime winner <laughs> i mean <laughs> uh okay let's take one more question here from uh, patreon jake nagy says johnny goudreau is coming off 115 point season second most the nhl behind mcdavid he's 28 and expected to get paid 8.5 to 10 mil on his next year on his next deal per year. Prashanth has shared his belief that this summer merits TV choosing a direction in the rebuild. Perhaps it's a little premature for this, but a guy who can score 115 points in a season doesn't grow on trees. So would you have any interest in signing Goudreau to something like seven years, 10 mil? We have the most cap room and could probably offer him max dollars. Short answer. No, 
Long answer, no. No, I'm kidding. I just wanted to make the joke. Long answer, you have to understand the Red Wings have a ton of cap space right now. But Larkin, Cider, and Raymond are not far off getting significant raises. And those raises are going to come in while Johnny Goudreau's, well, Larkin sooner, but Cider and Raymond, well, Johnny Goudreau's going to be 30. Do I think Johnny Goudreau will be a very good player into his 30s? Yeah, probably. Do I think in the Red Wings contention window, Johnny Goudreau is going to be worth $10 million? No, probably not. Okay, time for some Reddit questions here. Uh, a Hawk or A Hawk says, what do you guys think the extensions for Larkin and Bertuzzi's will look like, assuming they're signed this offseason? My guess will be Larkin will take a slight discount and come in eight Max years. Term. Eight years. I'll go friendly and say eight years, 8.25. I was going to say eight and a half. So I think we're in the same ballpark. Yeah. I think Larkin's ask will probably come in around nine and a half to start. That's without knowing what goes on in the room. Like that's, that's what I would imagine. I think Bertuzzi will be looking for something around a six by five, maybe a seven by four or five years somewhere somewhere in that range six million by five years you mean yeah okay in that range i don't think anybody's gonna be throwing seven or eight year terms at bertuzzi right now just because of the health questions and the not significant length of time where he's produced at this rate but we'll see i could see tyler bertuzzi i can see the variance in terms of what he's asking for and what value is or what Eisman's willing to offer being way wider of a separation yeah like i could see him looking for eight. Oh, he should be looking for eight i mean this is he's not what a year older than larkin he probably knows this is also the last super significant contract of his career so and you know those haven't been easy negotiations yeah. i'm uh what is the the evolving hockey uh what's their salary projection for bert is um five times five by six million nine hundred five thousand so almost seven so would you believe i did not look at that beforehand i hand to god so (laughs) yeah i I could see bird asking for more way more than that i think the term on like you said yeah i think the term on bird is going to be interesting i always default to max term in my head but that's different for bird it is. He has based. way more question marks around him than Larkin does. Uh, also, what do you think the chances are for an early extension for Cider and what would that deal look like? I think the chances are good. And the Red Wings should not waste time. Price is only going up with him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like stocks during the bull run that just ended for the last however many years. Like it, the price just goes up. Buy whatever, the price is going to go up. And that's what is happening with Maurice Cider. So defensemen aren't cheap. Elite defensemen aren't cheap elite stalwart like you need this guy to be a pillar of your team for generations defensemen aren't cheap and if you ever have a chance to get one you buy it as early as you can because the price is just going to go up yeah and um i think in my mind with cider i'm in the camp of detroit's window is going to be in his next contract don't bother with this bridge bull whatever like as long as you can Immediately yeah. sign him for as long as you can. If whatever eight-year contract you can get him on, just do it because his. if you bridge that next contract, which could still be in the Red Wings window, is going to be more. So, yeah, I understand that walking – like if you go max now, his contract expires while he's still like 29, 30 years old. And I understand the downsides to that. Don't care. The window is going to be in this contract. 
you're looking at yeah you're probably looking at at least what six and a half seven mil at the very least well no because he's eligible for an extension after the season right yeah if he repeats what he did this year it'll be uh, eight million dollars oh no my poor child (laughs) he's gonna be closer to 10 than he will eight i don't think i don't think we'll see cider close to 10 i would argue that Mo Sider is already as good as, if not better, worst case, in the ballpark of Seth Jones and Darnell Nurse, who just got north of $9 million each. Yeah, but they got overpaid. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. We don't- we, no, no, argument, no arguments here. Black Panther gif, we don't do that here. That's- That's the market for defensemen, because look at what Heiskanen got. Look at what McCarr got. North of $9 million is the market for elite defensemen. Okay. Uh, last question here from Let's Kill Time says, first of all, Burt should not be traded at all due to his compete level and the contagion. I don't know if that was a pun. Um, <laughs> if he does, what type of premium uh, do you think Stevie should charge for trading him within division versus sending him to the Western Conference? If Larkin doesn't sign the extension before the next season starts, should we expect Stevie to consider trading him or continue trying to sign him? For, first of all, with Eisenman, you have to assume all options are at the table at all times. Look what he did with Stamkos. Um, with Larkin being a centerman and the only star centerman they have and the captain, I think it's much less likely that it gets traded, but he's going to do his due diligence on what he can garner. I, I will say this, though, to follow up that point in particular with Bertuzzi and Larkin, because by the trade deadline, they will know and have a very clear picture of where they are at in negotiations. If it is not particularly close, like say Larkin's asking for nine and a half and Steve's not offering more than seven and a half. That's a gap that's probably not getting rectified between then and the end of the season or more importantly, then and the UFA window. Mm-hmm. You can't let players of that caliber walk for nothing now he did it with he did it with stammer but but there was two two key differences with stamp coast that we should probably establish now because hopefully it doesn't become relevant but if it does become relevant tampa was in a win now window stamp coast could look at the tampa bay lightning and go well if i do resign i could win the stanley cup this year Mm -hmm. and two the Tampa Bay Lightning were in a win-now mode. Futures at the trade deadline didn't mean much to them at that point in time. Right. Both those things do not apply to the Red Wings right now. So you could get a hell of a lot of things to help the Red Wings for the next 10 years if Larkin refuses to sign in Detroit. Same with Bertuzzi. It's different. I know it's what all I'm using the Stamkos equivalent for in contract is Steve Eisman ain't going to lose if it turns into a game of chicken. If they're $500,000 apart at the trade deadline, Steve Eisman will call that bluff. But if they're not close, Steve Eisman's probably too smart to let him go for nothing. Well, that's a hypothetical that I... I wouldn't bet that we get close to. I'm hoping the day he's eligible for an extension, it is signed because I am not mentally prepared to do this for a full season. We haven't had to stomach that before. 
that, we, we've never dealt with this. The closest we got was when Steven Stamkos was going through it. I don't think it's likely. And I'm going to say that more emphatically because I don't want it to be true. All right. We're going to wrap up this episode of the Wing Wheel podcast and record our Patreon exclusive overtime. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, I appreciate you putting up with just Brad and I with no Evan to temper us this episode. Um <laughs> Remind me to tell you about a funny comment we got in uh, in the overtime. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners of the show, uh, new listeners and old. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know the off season is a different time, no Red Wings hockey, but we really appreciate the support uh, of all of you, of our patrons, our name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry, the driver of number 69, crying Ryan Hannah's banana slam and jamathong. Matthew M. Rice, Batman should lose his job based on the Yotes changed my mind, Brandon M., Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chumbawamba, not Chumbawamba, Citizen High Five, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Doesn't Tuesnit, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Hassam Al-Qasem, I'd Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Sam Bankson, uh, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, uh, Jeremy Brocker, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Maximilian Cheesebags, Missing Vladdy More Than Ever, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, the two good hosts of the Winged Wheel Podcast, Trevor Pebavar, Wish.com Shea Weber, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, Driving Range Superstar. Thanks so much. We're going to go post bail for Evan. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.